This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. We thank you so much for your word. Your word is alive. Your word is a strength to us. Your word is full of faith. Your word is full of you. And God, we receive today. We open our hearts and ears to hear what you would say to us. And we give you thanks and glory. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said, Amen. Well, this is a series, Trusting Father. This is the third one in the series. And I talked about the first week about an article I read uh, in U.S. Today that talked about most of America believes that God is a God of judgment. He's an angry God. He's just waiting to throw a lightning bolt out and take everyone out. That was the number one belief. And it was 43% in the South believe that God's angry and judgmental and ready to take us out. And it was alarming to me because that's not what Scriptures tell us. And Jesus gave us a different view than that. And also it, it challenged me, we as believers, we have to represent and portray portray Jesus in the correct way. And, and that way is that he's a, a loving Heavenly Father who wants to save them, wants to bring them out of the pits and the traps and the, and the things of life that bring destruction. And he is a good God, a good Father. And I got to uh, just thinking about our Father and how Jesus gave us a different view of God when he said Father. And people got upset about it. You're calling God Father? But that's who he really is. He's our Father. And when we know how good he is, when we understand how much he loves us, it's easy to follow him. You want to follow him because he always has your best interest at heart. He knows the way that you were created. He knows your needs. He knows what makes you tick. He knows where you need provision. He knows what you're supposed to be doing. So we need to follow him. We need to look to him. But when we view God as an angry God or God's judging us, we're missing out that he took our sins and he took the punishment that we deserved at the cross. So if I hang on to this, God is angry and he's judging me, I'm actually refusing to take my theology to the cross. Because at the cross, he paid the price. He paid the price in full for each and every one of us. So he's not, we don't have to be afraid of his rejection or his judgment because judgment was placed on Jesus Christ for each of us. So we can come to him without fear and we can receive from him. In 1 John 4, 18, it says, we need have no fear of someone who loves us perfectly. His perfect love for us eliminates all dread of what he might do to us if we are afraid. It is for fear of what he might do to us and shows that we are not fully convinced that he really loves us. When we're fearful and think he's judging us, we're not really convinced of his love. Do you know you don't really love people that you think are angry if you are uh, judging you all the time, it's hard to get close to them and to trust them. Amen? God's not that way. He 
He is there for us. He, he will chasten us. He will correct you. He will direct you, uh, train you, guide you. Just like any good father, there's correction. But that's the thing. He's a good father. He's not bringing some destruction and hurt into your life because he loves you. He's in love with us. It says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And that word propitiation means the satisfying of wrath. The satisfying of wrath. And I, I, I put down a deeper um, meaning of it. Propitiation is the satisfying of the righteous demands of God's justice so that his government might be, might be maintained and that mercy might be shown on the basis of justice duly satisfied. See, God is a God of justice, but I want you to know justice was taken out on Christ and is being completely, totally paid for. Justice has come in Christ. You didn't just get away with your sins. It had to be dealt with and paid for. And Jesus Christ paid the price for us. Now, I'm not saying that you can live this life any way you want because there's principles of His Word, there's ways to live, and you can be miserable as a Christian. But He's given us the ability to live the way He wants us to live. But your relationship with Him is based on the cross. That being a part of His family is based on what He did for each of us. So I want to look for a few moments at trusting God in this area, area of prayer. When we really trust Him, we'll pray. And last week we started looking at three reasons why we don't pray. One of them was complacency. Complacency. We just get comfortable. We get where we think, well, someone else will pray or it'll work out in the end. But really, that's not what the Word tells us to do. It says we're to be praying. We're to always be praying. His will is that we always be coming before Him and receiving input from Him, getting prayers answered. We can't afford to get complacent. And we don't need to be complacent in the day that we're living in. I mean, it doesn't take much news to see we are in troubling times and we need to pray. But still, the truth is, there's protection for the believer. It's what the Word says. So you have to stand strong, and we have to pray, and we have to believe God. Another one was unbelief. Unbelief. Do we really believe that God answers prayers? If we really do, I think we'll be praying a lot. If we really believe that God can change things because we pray, I think we'd be praying a lot. If we believe that He can change our, our finances... I think we'd be praying if he can change our, our marriage, change our relationships. Maybe our kids are going off the wrong path. Or he can give us direction. I think we'd be praying. And I think we get so busy that we, it's a subconscious thing that we just don't pray. We're just going about our business. I found my own self before. I'll, I'll lose something and um, finally I'll go, well, I haven't prayed. Duh. I tell Ellen, I'm going to pray. 
I'll pray, and then he'll, he'll show me. I mean, it just flash, and there it is. I go get, and I go, why did I wait so long? Because I just didn't think about it. I just thought, well, it's just right here or something. But I should have enough experience with me. If I lose it, it's lost. I need to pray. But unbelief, we need to believe God. And number three, it's discouragement. When you pray for something, and we've all done it, we pray for something, maybe it didn't work out the way we wanted it to work out, and the enemy comes with hurt, and we've got to release that because we can't let the enemy steal our prayer life. That's the most powerful thing that we have is our talking to God, our relationship with him, and we can't let the enemy steal that. So we have to make sure that we deal with those. But then we came to talk about two reasons that we should pray, and this is really two attributes of the character of God. And it's, it's funny in a way, but the enemy uses the character of God against prayer, but really it should be for prayer. It should be a reason that we do pray because of the way he is, but the enemy will use it against it. Number one was sovereignty of God. And we think we understand the sovereignty of God. We think whatever God wants, he gets. Whatever his will is, will be done, period. But then you look at scriptures and you understand that that's not true. God's will is not always done on this earth. Just watch the news, you'll see a whole lot of things that's not God's will. God is not in it. Another word for Will is desire. It's desire. What does God desire? Well, we, we know from the scriptures what he desires. And there's a whole lot of stuff that's happening on this earth that's not God. God's not in it. It's not his desire. But the enemy will use it and say, yeah, whatever God wants, he gets. Why pray? It's going to happen anyway. Well, why would he tell us to pray if that was the case? What he wants, Jesus said to pray that Father's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have a part to play in bringing God's will or his desires into the earth. You know what God wants? His desire is the way it is in heaven to be in our lives here. Last time I checked, it's pretty good in heaven. They're still not locking the doors. There is no police station. There is no <laughs> security systems. Everything is safe. Everything's good. It's the only place that God's perfect will, His will is always carried out. That's the reason it's heaven. Wherever you're experiencing heaven in your life, it's where God's will is. That's the reason, man, we got to follow Father and submit to Him and say, God, what you want for my life is what I want. So the sovereignty of God. In 2 Peter 3, 8, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning this promise, as some count slackness, but as long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. It's not God's desire, not willing that any should perish. It's God's desire for all to be saved. So let me ask you a question. Is everyone being saved? So God's will is not being done in everyone's life, correct? In Matthew 7, 13, it says, Enter through the narrow gate. 
The gate is wide and the road is wide that leads to hell. Many people enter through that gate, but the gate is small and the road is narrow that leads to true life. Only a few people find that road. God has a will. There's a, there's a road of His will, His purpose, His desire. Most aren't going down that road. But we have a choice. We can go down it. So there's many things that happen that are not God's will. Why is that? Because God gave man a free will. God created us in His image and gave us a choice. The freedom to choose, He gave us a will. And He'll not violate our will. Because we were created that way. So we choose. We have a choice. So there's many people that are choosing not God's will on the earth, and therefore God's desires are not being released. But God is saying if we will pray, we can influence the desire and will of people's lives here on this earth. We can bring His will through this earth in your life. And your life will affect other lives and touch other people and influence other people. We need to pray. We'll say, well, Lord, if it be your will. We always like to use the old King James when we do that one. Lord, if thou, <laughs> if it be thou will. But you know, we know his will in a lot of areas. One of them is that you'll get up off your will and off that recliner and go talk to your neighbor. So he wants him saved. There are some things that we know. Or his will. In Jeremiah chapter 32, starting at verse 8, we start talking about the right of inheritance and the right of redemption. Remember, Jeremiah's father passed away. His uncle came and bought a field from him. I believe it was to help out the family, to give them some, some income, bring some money. And then Jeremiah's cousin comes to him and says, I want you to buy this field back because you have the right of inheritance and the right of redemption. Now the right of inheritance meant because Jeremiah was the son, the property, when the uncle who bought the property died, it would not go to the uncle's son. It goes back to Jeremiah because he has the right of inheritance. The son gets the inheritance, has the right of inheritance. Well, what about the right of redemption? The right of redemption said that Jeremiah could go back and buy that property before the uncle died and take it back. Now, what's his point to this? was God's system, but he was talking about something bigger. He was talking about the earth that Adam had had the earth, he had been delegated a dominion, remember? And he gave it to the enemy. But Jesus, as the son, had the right of inheritance, but he didn't want to just wait till everyone died off and really the lease on the earth was over and he gets it back. He wanted to exercise his right of redemption and come by us. He wanted to come get us. And that's what he did. He came and purchased us where we could be his. Why did he do that? Because if he had waited to the end, we'd been gone. But he redeemed us. 
Now we belong to him. Now you're joint heir with Christ because now you're a son or daughter of God. You get in on it. God, there was two seals. Remember we talked about the, the sealed scroll and the open scroll or, or letter? The open one, anyone who purchased that property, they could write on it. It was public. It was open. But then there was a sealed scroll that was kept shut, and on it was the original owners of that property. And it didn't matter what happened with that property, how it sold, it always goes back to the one with the seal or the right of redemption. It goes back to the original owner. So you have all these pictures in the Bible. That's what Jubilee is. Who do you think the property went back to? The original owner. What was God doing? He was giving us picture after picture of his redemption plan. That Jesus came to redeem us as the Redeemer. And now, Father and Son have gotten back dominion even while the enemy's still loose in here. And all we have to do is walk with Him and walk in that dominion. Whew. I love that. <laughs> Excuse me. That's the reason we talked about Revelation 5. It said God the Father had a sealed seal, a scroll. Who is worthy? And said, the line of the tribe of Judah has prevailed and can open the seal. Jesus prevailed as the second Adam. Where the first Adam failed, the second Adam prevailed and got back dominion. And now we have authority over the enemy, over Satan himself. Even before he's bound up for eternity and the lake of fire, we have authority over him now because Jesus exercised his right of redemption. Amen. We are redeemed. We are blessed. Thank you, Lord. So what about this, this sovereignty? Sovereignty means supremacy, or he is the supreme ruler of the universe. So, as supreme ruler, we should pray because we've been hooked up, we've been redeemed with him. He's the supreme ruler of the universe. When you pray, he's saying, I'll move heaven and earth for you. Sovereignty should give us a reason to pray. Say, man, my father is the supreme ruler of the universe. He said he would withhold no good thing from me. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be praying. Nobody's going to shut me up. I'm going to be praying. Anybody going to join me? <laughs> Number two, immutability of God. I know that's not a word that you used last week. <laughs> What's that mean? It means the unchangeableness of God. That God cannot change. Another character of God, characteristic that we should give us reason to pray is because he's unchanging. In Malachi 3.6, for I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O son of Jacob. See, if God could change, he could get better. But he can't get better because he's already perfect. So he can't change, it's impossible for God to change because he's perfect. 
Now, this doesn't mean that he can't change his mind. It means he can't change his character. He can't change his character. Because there's some verses, I'm going to look at them quickly, that have upset people and said, well, God's repenting. It don't make sense. Well, let me just look at a couple of them. Exodus 32, 14. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. He relented, and, and really what happened here, Moses prayed, and God changed his mind. He relented. That's what that word relented. If you just take the L and put a P in, it means repented. And 41 times out of the 108 times that's used in the uh, Old Testament it is the word repent. But I believe the reason they didn't use the word repent here is they just couldn't think of God repenting from his sins. Because we think repent means to repent from sins, to turn from our sins. But let me tell you, God was not turning from his sins. I mean, you know that God's sinless. So it must mean something else. And when you look at, you look the word up, it means to change your mind. To change your mind. Moses prayed and interceded, and God changed his mind from what he said was going to happen. And you see it in Scripture. So repentance means to change your mind. That, and I'm, I'm saying you should. Uh, if you'll change your mind about sin, you can turn from sin. You should do that. I'm saying the basic meaning is to change your mind. What about Jonah? Remember Jonah? God tells him to go to Nineveh and to preach. He goes the opposite direction towards Tarshish. They wind up throwing him overboard. He gets swallowed up by a whale. And he, he's in this whale. And God has to get him out of there. Now, it, it's interesting that this whale happened to be traveling towards Nineveh. He was setting course towards Tarshish. God has him swallowed by a whale, and that whale turns and is going the other direction towards Nineveh. <laughs> I get the biggest kick out of that. Even in his disobedience, God has the whale going in his obedience. God's obedience. So what, what was the message they had? He's preaching 40 days and judgment's coming. Because you're evil, you're doing evil. Judgment is coming. And Jonah loved this message. That's what he was going to do. He, he loved this judgment message. Let me read it to you. Um, Jonah 3, it says, When God saw what they had done and how they put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind or repented and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. <laughs> Have you ever heard an angry preacher? Or met an angry Christian? I mean, they get upset if you say something about grace, mercy, kindness, compassion. All they want is judgment. Judgment. God's going to get you. God's going to get you. And here's Jonah is upset, and he just was in disobedience, gets swallowed up by a whale, has to repent in a whale's belly, crying out to God. And he's upset because God forgives Nineveh, and they turn to God with fasting and prayer. Angry. 
Upset. Some people, you can upset, just say the word grace. I mean, grace, the grace of God. Oh, brother, judgment, judgment, judgment. God just hates your ways. You want to get saved? No, no, thank you. I got enough problems. So, verse 2, so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? (laughs) This is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are merciful and a compassionate God, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Like all good prophets of God, their prophecy doesn't come true. Kill me. Because your word didn't... See, here's the thing. The word of the Lord is always subject to the God of the word. Many times he's just telling people and giving them a place of repentance to change. And that's the reason that thing didn't come to pass. Because we have a will and we can change God's mind from the direction it's going in. Ezekiel 22.30 Let me say this, God's immutability is a reason we should pray because God will always be merciful and compassionate. He can't change. If you'll come to him, repent, turn to him. He's always compassionate and merciful. I haven't heard one person, oh, I repented before the Lord and I heard his voice. He said, not you. No mercy. No mercy. Ezekiel 22, 30, for I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but found no one. He just wanted one person that would join hands with him that he could be merciful and show compassion. See, he can't force his will on us, but we can pray his will. We can speak his purpose He looked for one person. So my question is to you, what is the area God is saying, will you take my hand and join my purpose in this area? Will you pray? Will you take your will and submit it to my will that my desire, that my compassion, my blessing can be released in your life and others? Saying, is there anyone that will... Stand in the gap. Is there anyone that will pray? That's God's heart. He was looking for one. One that would do that. Praying His will in the earth. Praying His will on your family, on your marriage, on every area of your life, on your business. Whatever it is. It's not going to happen if we don't pray. Oh, I'll get saved if God wants me to get saved. He's already paid the price and done all he's going to do. It's your choice. You choose. You make a choice. In in closing, there's a a famous missionary. You may have heard of him. His name is George Mueller. And George got saved at age 30. And he had 
really a very sinful life. He loved to drink and gamble, and he was the life of the party. He spent some time in jail, and he loved to mock Christians. And he was actually in a ministry school um, training because uh, at that time, it was in the 1800s, it was the government that you worked for, and he needed a steady income. So he wasn't even a believer, but that's, you could get a government position, and it was called a, a, a minister. And anyway, he goes to a small group, and he's in this small group, and he hears the gospel and gets saved. Well, that changes everything. He goes before God, and he prays. He said, God, what do you want me to do? And the Lord told him, I want you to be a missionary. He said, okay. So he signs up to go to missionary school. He calls his dad and said, Dad, this is what happened to me. I'm going to go to missionary school. Will you pay for it? His dad was helping him before and, and had the means to help him with this. And his dad said, absolutely not. That won't give you a steady income. A missionary? How are you going to make it? No, I won't help you. And, and the Lord told him, what do you think George did? He went and prayed. He went and prayed. So he prays for uh, two months. And the Lord says, now go register for school. So he goes. Has no, no money, nothing. And you maybe have heard the story. He's in line to register. And a person walks up uh, beside him, puts money in his pocket, and walks off. He doesn't know who, who it is or anything. He comes up, he takes the money out of his pocket, lays it there, it's the exact amount to the penny. He's in school. So he goes through his school, he completes school, and then he has to come up before the board to be sent out, you know, to do his missions work. They fail him. Said, you led too sinful of a life before. Well, the Apostle Paul wouldn't have made it either. <laughs> and said... We can't send you out anywhere. So guess what he did? Prayed. You're brilliant. This time he prays for an entire year. And the Lord says, now go. Tell, tells him the country to go to, city. Said, go now. So he, he goes. There's one church there. He walks in and said, can I speak to the pastor? And the guy said, well, our, our pastor resigned last week. He said, well, I just completed uh, missionary school a, a year ago. And they go, you're hired. <laughs> so he, he gets in there and, and he brings a revelation about a tithing. He, he found out the way they raised money, they rented the best seats to the wealthy people. He said, we're going to stop that. And he taught tithing and giving the offerings uh, above the tithe. And people started getting... <laughs> blessed and one time he was in prayer and the Lord laid it on his heart to have an orphanage he didn't tell anyone just one day that uh, he's there at the church and a man comes up and says Lord told me to give you money for orphanage and the money started coming in in fact during the 1800s um, this is above the tithe he, he raised 7.5 million dollars he started more orphanages than any missionary or any missionary organization since. It's the impact they had. 
But at age 93 and eight months, George was about to pass soon, and he had a friend taking care of him. And he got saved at age 30, so he'd been saved 63 years and eight months. And his friend that was taking care of him heard him praying, and he mentioned his best friend when at age 30 he went and got saved, his best friend turned his back on Christ and never got saved. And he heard him praying for him, and he came to George and said, George, I hear you right. You were praying for uh, this friend of yours that all these you know, years ago? And he said, yes. He said, I've been praying for 63 years and eight months for him. Of course, the friend says, wow. He said, I have prayed every day since I got saved. He was my best friend. But he turned his back on Christ. A few days later, George passed away. And uh, the friend who heard George pray was at the funeral. And he saw the friend that he had prayed for. He said, at the end of the funeral... He said, this man, he watched him. He walked up to the grave, hit his knees, and accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord of his life. Why? Because prayer works. Prayer works. And we can never stop. We've got to always engage our faith. 63 years and 8 months. But let me tell you, some rejoicing in heaven. It was all worth it because eternity's a long time. Prayer works. So I want to challenge you during this, this time where we're really seeking God, turn off the TV, get some prayer in, put some worship on, spend some time with the Lord. Don't just forsake eating. And A lot of you, I saw you feel that your thing. Social media, I thought, that's a new one. Didn't used to be there, you know. But wherever you're fasting, make sure you spend some time with God and let Him speak to you. Let Him minister to you. Let Him give you the goals. I notice a lot of you work on your health and different things. You know, you can pray in those goals and those things that you're believing God for. Pray about those things. God will give you wisdom and strategy to do it, to fulfill it. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity, the honor we have of praying, coming before you, releasing your desires and your will in the earth. What an honor, what a privilege we have to walk with you and to talk with you, to be led by your Spirit, to follow you, to see your life infused in our lives, to see you do the miraculous, to see you take dead things and bring them alive. To see you to bring breakthrough where it looks like there would never be a breakthrough. Because you're a mighty God and you're a sovereign God. You're the supreme ruler and you're an unchanging God. You're always good. Your desires are always salvation, are always compassion and mercy and grace. Thank you so much, God. If today you've never accepted Jesus Christ, as the Lord of your life, will give you an opportunity. How do you do it? I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. You mean it from your heart. You'll belong to Him. He'll not reject you. He will receive you. 
He loves you. Maybe you prayed this prayer before, but you know your prayer life, it hadn't been there. You, you haven't been walking in what you need to walk in. The relationship is, there's been a gap. And today you need to get back. Today you need to trust Father again. Today you need to get back in prayer. To get back in the Word. Back to trusting Him with your life. And stop depending on yourself. That's you. If no one looking around, once you lift your hand and we'll pray together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, see that. Any others? Thank you, Jesus. It's Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray together. Everyone say, Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus Christ who died for me where I could have life. I believe that you raised him from the dead. And now he's seated at your right hand, Father, as Lord of all. I receive his lordship. I submit myself to him. I'll follow you, Lord, all the days of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I will have the ability to live for you. And I thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God thanks. Thank you, Lord. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord, I'm a sinner.